This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Anthony Gardner. Anthony Gardner was the United States Ambassador to the European Union from March 2014 to January 2017. Tony, we're obviously going to talk about transatlantic matters. That will not be a big surprise to you. But let's start, first of all, since you're still living in Europe. You haven't gone back to the United States just yet. Your, your current assessment as, as a friend of Europe, where the European Union stands at the moment, it's obviously facing a number of crises, but are, are these is the current combination of crises, are they different in kind from the past, or are they just more of the same? Well, um, I'm at the College of Europe right now in Bruges and enjoying every minute for the next three months. Uh, and I'm there enjoying it because I'm surrounded by young, uh, optimistic, energetic students who are looking at the future in a very different way. Now, clearly there are a number, a growing number of crises, some of which are existential crises. And I think this series of crises uh, is indeed different from the past, both in terms of the number, the complexity, and the seriousness. And they're all happening at the same time. I think it's fair to say that, yes, Europe has grown through crises in the past. It's an overset dictum. But what's changed is that now uh, Europe is, is facing so many at the same time, some of which I mentioned are existential. I'm thinking of Brexit. Uh, I'm thinking of the French elections, and I'm thinking, of course, of uncontrolled immigration, which so far has been dealt with but could come back to haunt Europe. Now, given this series of interlocking uh, serious crises, I think uh, the European institutions, the EU institutions, are on the whole doing quite well. Um, the issue, as is often pointed out by President Juncker, is that member states also have to uh, shoulder their responsibility. It's no good just pointing to the EU institutions and saying they haven't done enough and they haven't done it quickly enough. The member states have to be clear that the EU has assets to bring to bear and it ha they have to invest in the EU as if it were a common project in which they believe. Unfortunately, not all member states are doing that. Well, do you have the impression this time though, that the member states themselves, not just yourself, realize that this time it is different? Because I think this, the problem maybe is if people just go along with the conventional wisdom that, yes, we, Europe almost thrives on crisis and always comes out chastened but also emboldened. But that, the, the downside of that is a kind of sense of complacency. Do you think this time member state heads of government actually, actually understand this is a real serious crisis? Point. I think they are, yes, now realizing that they have to invest in the EU in order to take out dividends. You know, uh, a few weeks after I arrived, I was at dinner at which the spokesman of the European Commission, Margarita Skinas, said something which I will always remember, and he won't mind me repeating it. He said the member states so far haven't invested, they haven't treated the uh, EU uh, as if uh, it were a common project in which they are shareholders. Right. If you don't consider yourself a shareholder, you don't invest in it with the expectation of taking out dividends. I think it's beginning to change. Look, Cameron, uh, for years and years, was a member of a party, the Tory party, that was talking down the EU at every possible moment. Uh, from Monday to Saturday, he was talking down the EU. And then on Sunday, on the eve of the Brexit referendum, he suddenly said to the British people, uh, the EU is actually a provider of prosperity and a provider of security. And guess what? Not many people believe this, this uh, you know, conversion on the eve of the referendum. I think other heads of state are now realizing that um, they have to invest in the EU and talk it up. Well, since you mentioned David Cameron, the former British Prime Minister, let's, as a segue, talk about Brexit. How, 
how vulnerable, uh, forget about the UK side for a moment, we always talk about the UK position on Brexit, but how vulnerable is the European EU27 going to be as a result of this possible, probable Brexit? I think the jury's still out. Uh, I am worried. Many people are worried. Uh, I think American business uh, continues to be worried. Japanese business is certainly worried. Uh, both have expressed their concerns in lengthy papers. Um, they're concerned about the dynamics that have uh, so far um, evidenced themselves in these negotiations where each side, of course, is staking out its own positions. But the risk here is that the rhetoric actually may translate into the reality. Uh, you know, sometimes I think here I may be exaggerating slightly. I think of the dynamics before the First World War when each side mobilized. Right. And there was a dynamic that came a point which you can't demobilize uh, because each side says it needs to uh, draw a tactical advantage. I hope the rhetoric calms down. Uh, the sides, both sides realize that both need to come out winners. Um, but I'm not quite seeing that yet, and that is troublesome. Okay. I don't want to talk, spend too much time talking about the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership mm -hmm. with you for the moment, because I think everybody agrees, at least for the foreseeable future, at least certainly for the moment, it's kind of on ice, as the European Trade Commission, Mrs. Malmström, has said. But I do want to talk to you more broadly about the, the, the case for globalization, the case for trade. You know, to a, to a reasonably unbiased, but possibly biased uh, European uh, ear or eye, the... Um, the, um, the United States administration now is not coming out with particularly positive signs about, about free trade. Uh, I know you may say there's a difference maybe between the White House uh, and the Congress, but where, what is your current assessment about the U.S.'s stance on trade, if a single stance can be identified? It's very unfortunate. Um, you're right. This administration has changed its, um, uh, its policy in a number of important respects, including with regard to NATO, with regard to Russia, with regard to some other issues. But with regard to trade, I think a fair amount of the rhetoric may unfortunately be translated into policies which would do damage. Um, the president in his inaugural address said some things that really represented a, a significant departure from prior policy. He said, um, uh, I will follow two rules, uh, I will hire American and I will buy American. He said protection will make us strong. We have seen a leaked memo from uh, the USTR to Congress which indicates uh, a desire to uh, potentially ignore WTO rulings when they are not consistent with our national interest as we define them. Um, that paper indicated that uh, we have a toolbox at our disposal to impose unilateral uh, actions, uh, for example, imposing tariff barriers on countries which, who we consider to be trading unfairly with the rest of the world. This administration considers remarkably that the multilateral trading system has damaged U.S. interests, that we have not been a beneficiary. I think that's contrary to the historical record. This administration also appears to believe that if one country or one region benefits, the others uh, uh, do not, that the United States has in fact been, uh, has suffered the consequences. I hope we do not retreat from the world trading system and the rules and institutions that we built up with the EU. That would have dramatically negative consequences. Right. Well, you might be a tad biased since you were nominated as an ambassador here by a Democrat administration. That's hardly a scoop. So you know, one could try and make the case, at least a theoretical case, that no matter what uh, President Trump is, has been saying on the campaign trail, and even since the inauguration, and some members of his immediate entourage along the lines you've been indicating, nonetheless, at some point, 
And in fact, realpolitik will kick in, and he has to realize in his team, Mr. President Trump, that he can't just do what he thinks he is right, even if we don't agree with him. Do you think there's any signs already now that he's starting to change his tune on the basis of, of realpolitik? Well, in a number of areas, I think he has, and that's all to the good. Uh, for example, his early indications of views with regard to the EU changed, uh, and that's all to the good. I'll be the first to recognize it. Vice President Pence said all the right things when he was here. Uh, and the President himself has changed his, um, his declarations about the EU. Most recently, he said that he's all in favor of it, if the Europeans are. Um, so, you know, reality does confront every new president. He's no different in that regard. Uh, but I think the policy on trade may end up being different because here there's a widely felt view, not just the president, not just a few people in the administration, a widely felt view that we have uniquely suffered because of the system of world trade uh, and uh, glo the globalized world. Uh, I think that's both uh, inaccurate and I, both, I, I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, I think we need to live within those rules. Um, but you're right, there will be some in the administration who will speak up. I'm thinking particularly of the sophisticated business members of his cabinet, mm. who will no doubt go to the president and say, Mr. President, here are the consequences if we suddenly work outside the framework of these institutions. Right. And from a business perspective, I know you don't represent a particular corporation, but unless you know the business well pretty well from previous careers, that how does the, the sort of corporate America, quote-unquote, now react to President Trump? I can imagine on one side they, they have to be pragmatic, like any corporation. We have to deal with the political situation in which we find ourselves. President Trump will be around for at least four years. They, they would argue that we have, to, we have to work with him and his team on the one hand. But, and another part of them, might, about their brains might be thinking, well, actually, you know, on some things, he's actually maybe good for business. He's going to maybe deregulate. He's going to be, you know, repeal or at least review Dodd-Frank on financial services regulation. So uh, he may even be reduced corporate taxes. So all these things are maybe music to the corporate America's ears, aren't they? Well, some of them are, and I think you're right to point out that uh, even those of us who uh, were part of the former administration, I think, would be happy to conclude that there are parts of his agenda which are positive and good. Um, I'm thinking of tax reform, which is overdue, including corporate tax reform. Um, we have an extraordinary system in the United States of worldwide taxation for companies, regardless of where they have their profits, which has led to the, um, the creation of huge you know, cash uh, savings uh, parked abroad. I'm thinking of um, an infrastructure program, which also Hillary Clinton wanted to, mm. uh, to promote. So there are parts of his, his policies which I support, and I hope they occur. And I agree that businesses need to find um, the areas where they can work with it in this administration. Uh, lower taxes, uh, some deregulation, although here I think we need to be careful uh, that we do not unwind all the protections we put in place after the dramatic financial crisis that we all suffered. The question will be how much additional growth is worth the additional risk now, every, a lot of people will come to different conclusions about that. But if you ask me, is it worth going back to the situation where we were prior to 2007 at the, uh, for the benefit of having an additional 1% uh, GDP growth? I think that some people would uh, be very cautious about making that trade. Okay. To bring it a bit back to transatlantic, I mean, we're all occasionally guilty of having relatively short memories, uh, and we're obviously focusing now very much on what's happened since the, the, the administration took office. But 
um, you wouldn't have met anybody else when you, when you were ambassador here that there were tensions between the United States and, and Europe on a, on a number of fronts. It, it's not because of the Democrat in the White House uh, named Barack Obama, Barack Obama that things were all hunky-dory. We had issues about tax, uh, we had issues about data privacy, issues about data flows, and quite a long list actually. So, uh, so these these issues are still there or not? But they've become exacerbated under a Trump administration. Well, you're right to point out that not everything was simple uh, during the years of the Obama administration. We did have some disagreements with the EU. You mentioned a few of them. We had a rather robust disagreement about the Apple um, tax estate aid case. We had a difficult negotiation about data privacy, which we were successfully, which we were successful in uh, finally um, replacing and putting in, putting into effect uh, a successor agreement to Safe Harbor. Uh, we had some difficult discussions, but there we were starting from the same philosophical uh, perspective. Uh, and what do I mean by that? I, I mean an attachment and a belief and a sustained commitment to the rules and institutions that Europe and the United States built up after the Second World War. That's where I see a big difference. Right. Um, so, I mean, th this administration seems to uh, depart from a very different uh, perspective. There are many four aware conferences where you speak, I, and I'm occasionally present as well, where a lot of fine words are, are expressed about the, the value and the history of the bonds between the United States of America and the European Union. Uh, but are they empty words? I'm, I'm asking the question in a sense, do we have to, a bit like the European Union, my earlier question a few minutes ago, has to maybe rethink now because the situation is quite dramatic now compared to previous crises the EU has found itself in. Do we have to, in a sense, use this opportunity, or should we use this opportunity now in terms of EU-US relations to, to have a, a deep, you know, a, a deep dive into how we actually conduct our relations and, and maybe approach things rather differently, rather coming out with some of the platitudes that we're all occasionally guilty of uh, coming out with. Well, I think you're right. I think that's that, that is a big um, that is a big challenge. The platitudes of the past, particularly about World War II, uh, just don't cut it anymore. Particularly with regard to the young generation that obviously has no memory of uh, World War II and perhaps in many cases don't even study it anymore. Uh, we need to reframe why the transatlantic relationship is important. And in Europe itself, uh, the need of uh, need for the European Union needs to be reframed. I've been invited actually on the 22nd of March to go to Rome, uh, and I've been asked to give a little talk as an outsider uh, about how Europe needs to recommunicate uh, the importance of Europe uh, as an idea. Uh, and you're right, I have a few ideas. I mean, I think. It's not a difficult case to make. Uh, I think it has to be more practical. Uh, a few just examples. I think um, the young have to be reminded in Europe about what the EU has done to make travel easier, study easier, right. uh, getting rid of currency exchange, obviously. Uh, roaming charges, uh, uh, the fact that the roaming charges have gotten rid of. The problem is that uh, not so much the arguments aren't there, is that uh, the European institutions have been a bit timid in making them. Right. And to get back to what we were saying before, the member states have not helped. They have, in fact, uh, hindered uh, the case. Uh, with regard to the transatlantic relationship, you're right. Uh, we need to update the new transatlantic agenda that we uh, launched 20 years ago. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, 20 years ago, that NTA, the new transatlantic agenda, didn't even mention digital, or there were a few lines right. about digital. Um, that needs to be a major part of the agenda. Uh, tax evasion was, I think, mentioned in one sentence. I think that is a major issue. Why? Because the fairness on both sides of the Atlantic is a driving force for populist movements. 
And I would like to see us working more together on multilateral tax evasion. I'd like to see us work better together on trade defense mechanisms to make globalization and free trade work better for more people. Right. Well, to finish off then, the final question, Tony, uh, a question which maybe tries to bring the three strands of our conversation together, New European Union, Brexit, and the United States uh, new administration. Uh, to what extent uh, is the British government uh, correct in thinking that it still has a special relationship with the United States, and no matter what happens around the Brexit negotiating table, uh, the Prime Minister May and her team can play some relatively useful, if not critical, bridging role between the two sides of the Atlantic. Is that a, uh, a, a reality or is that slightly delusional? Well, look, the special relationship will, 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 will continue, um, but I, I continue to believe that what the Obama administration said is correct, that one of the reasons the UK played such an important role for the United States is that it was a member of a larger and powerful club, uh, and if Britain leaves, that will no longer be the case. Um, I don't think that Britain needs to play a bridging role between the United States and the EU. Right. Uh, those times, I think, are now gone. Uh, what we can look for is a continued strong relationship with the UK uh, and a strong relationship with the EU, so there'll be a triad rather than a, a pure bilateral relationship. Okay, on that point, we'll leave it. Tony Gardner, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.